Welcome once again to The Real Money Show, hosted by Guildhall Wealth Management. Folks, this week we have a special treat. We are going to be interviewing Keith Newmeyer, CEO of First Majestic. And for those of you that don't know much about Mr. Newmeyer, he is certainly somebody we find very knowledgeable about the silver market and silver trends in general. So you do not want to miss this show. It's going to be a very important interview that we do and part of our ongoing, uh, I guess, sort of attempt to bring more voices in this community out to you, the listening public. In addition to that, Jeremy and I are going to be spending some time talking about our good friend and friend to the Real Money Show, Paul Craig Roberts, who wrote an article on the 20th of March called America is Losing Its Economy. Now, folks, there's a lot going on, but one thing we know for certain is that it's so important to understand this from the perspective of what is related directly to silver. Silver and gold, those are our first choice metals, and we have spoken about them at length for years and years and years. Keith Newmeyer is a fantastic individual. He's worked in the investment community since 1984. He began his career at a number of Canadian national brokerage firms. Mr. Newmeyer moved on to work with several publicly traded companies in the resource and high technology sectors. He also was the original and founding president of First Quantum Minerals Limited, and he also founded First Majestic, which we're going to be talking about today a little bit, back in 2002 and First Mining Finance in 2015. Mr. Newmeyer also has listed a number of companies on the Toronto Stock Exchange, and as such, you can imagine he has an extensive amount of experience dealing with the financial, regulatory, legal, and accounting issues that are relevant in the investing community. Mr. Newmeyer was the winner of the Ernst & Young's Entrepreneur of the Year Award in 2011 for the metals and mining category, and we want to welcome him to the show today. Jeremy will be conducting the interview, and we will say hello to Mr. Newmeyer. Welcome to the Real Money Show, Keith. It's a pleasure to have you here. And, uh, we'll Hi, Jeremy. It's a pleasure to speak for the first time. Excellent. And we're, we'll just jump into some questions right away. Um, we, you know, we've been listening to a lot of other interviews that you've been giving. And uh, one of the things I notice is that you call silver a strategic metal. And I was wondering if you can expand on this a little bit, uh, perhaps discuss where you are seeing demand for silver coming at this moment. Well, I came up with that phrase, uh, I don't know, several years ago now, and it, it's, I've heard it repeated in a couple of circles, and I'm, I'm hoping it's going to catch on, you know, because, of course, silver is precious. We all know that. But, um, you know, it, I don't think most people actually know, you know, how critical silver is in the day-to-day lives of the human race. And, and the uses of silver are continuing to grow, and, you know, we're mining 9 to 1 currently on a global scale, which is pretty scary. You know, you're mining one ounce of gold worldwide, every nine ounces of silver and, and silver is depleting very very rapidly the above ground supplies are depleting and mine supply has been dropping we've had three consecutive years of mine supply dropping and it's getting pretty crazy out there if you're an electronics manufacturer an apple or a tesla or a samsung or you know sony or you know one of these big you know manufacturers you're going to be worried i think uh, just based on the supply demand fundamentals of the metal and that's why like why i call it strategic because Everything that we're doing as a human race to go green and everything we're trying to do to re-electrify the planet in, in, in other ways than oil and gas are going to require a lot more silver than we're currently mining. Yeah, I think that's interesting as well. When we look back, for example, at, at the run, uh, the first run to $50, there was lots of silver above ground and companies like Kodak and maybe Tiffany's or whatnot probably weren't 
thinking about panicking at all. They knew the product was there. But I do wonder if these type of major industries, Apple or, you know, tech tech companies that require so much silver are starting to think, well, wait a minute, we they they didn't they stockpiled back then now they don't have a stockpile i wonder if they're even paying attention would you know it all well we're getting approached by the end user over the last couple of years we, you know we've been getting approached more and more mm-hmm. which is a little bit unusual you know the the, the mining sector and the banks you know have this um uh relationship whereby you know the mining sector just sells their metals into the banking system and the banking system then you know finds buyers for the metals and it works very well and the miners get paid and the and consumer gets your metal, and, and, and uh, you know it's, it's all a client system. There's there's flaws in the system, of course, but you know that's generally the way it works, and it's been working like that for decades, and then after decades, and uh, you know with the with the end consumer starting to come directly to the miners, it's interesting. It's, it's just changing the space, and uh, you know, we've seen a couple of traders uh, leave Glencore and open up a brand new exchange, uh, uh, which was just in its infancy in its first year, and we're just looking at it now. Uh, whereby you know we could potentially, if we decide to start using this exchange, start selling our metals directly to the end consumer, bypassing the COMEX and the uh, other exchanges around the world. So it's it's interesting the, the direction we're going. And with the, you know, you have talked about that as well. Um, the idea that the exchanges might be changing the money, you know, the way the the system is set up today could be changing. You're mentioning a couple of those changes uh, just now. So with that said, um, looking for some price targets on, on the metal, of course, you're on record several times, but uh, you know, where do you see some price targets for the precious metals in, in uh, the next several years? And what do you think would probably need to happen for us to see those ultimate breakouts that a lot of investors in mining companies, as well as the physical, are, are looking for? You know, I'm on record, you know, calling for triple digit silver and, you know, the, the math is relatively easy. And, and uh, um, you know, I think some, sometimes it, it is so easy, people doubt that it becomes actually possible. But, you know, when you're ni- mining nine to one, why would the ratio on a supply demand fundamental basis not be nine to one? That's where it should be trading. That's where we're mining. Uh, you know, historically, if you go back a thousand years, you know, the average is about 15 to 16 to one. It's only in the last, you know, 40, 50 years. When the big banks started trading the metals commercially, uh, you know, in the early 70s, when uh, the COMEX was formed and the commercials started trading options against the metals, you know, that's where the price of suppression really started. And, you know, how long can that scheme really last? Because ultimately, you know, back then, as you said earlier in the interview, you know, there was a substantial amount of silver on the ground where they could use to, you know, hedge against their positions that they're taking, you know, in the commercial um, uh, marketplace. But today, with such tight supplies, and most of the metal now is just with ETFs. There's actually very little above-ground silver supply outside of the ETF. So, you know, if you're short and you've got to, to, deliver, to deliver physical metal to the end consumer and you can't get it, which I think is exactly what's going to happen, then it becomes a real issue. And that's when it becomes headline news. And, and you know, that's why I think the catalyst will be because, you know, it's the markets, as we know, are driven by headlines. They're not driven by fundamentals. You know, we wouldn't see, you know, the NASDAQ or the S&P trading at the levels they're trading today if, if there was any fundamental reason behind the market. You know, everyone's just trading uh, yield. They're trading, trading what's up, whatever's green on their screen, they're, they're buying. And whatever's right on their screen, they're selling because they're all momentum uh, traders. And you've got, you know, several thousand hedge funds around the world all doing the same thing. 
And that's how you get a you know thousand point down days when on the Dow, you know, back in January we saw consecutive thousand point down days because that's when all the computers, all the people are doing exactly the same thing and you know, it works both ways. So, you know, right now the metals are out of favor, you know, gold and silver. I just came back from the Bank of Montreal mining uh, conference, which is a big institutional conference held every February in Miami, and, and by the talk of all the big institutions, and this is all the big money, there's more, more than a trillion dollars under management and the roof of the, under the roof of this convention. And they're all, all of them are talking about nickel and cobalt and copper. No one's talking about gold and silver yet. You know, none of these high-tech solutions for, for you know, electric vehicles or whatever technology that you want to talk about um, wouldn't operate without silver. This is where I get kind of lost in the whole headline uh, uh, stuff that's written because, you know, I continually hear that, you know, silver's the poor man's gold, and it's completely the wrong way of thinking about silver. You know, just, you know we started off this call by saying that silver's very strategic and, uh, you know, you couldn't mine a Bitcoin without silver. You know, think about that for a sec. You couldn't drive an electric vehicle without silver. And, you know, I had a fund manager talking to me about it, and like, her eyes were glazing over, and she goes, what do you mean, you know, by, by, by saying you can't drive an electric vehicle without silver? And she says, well, what's an electric vehicle? You know, it's, it's a computer on a stack of batteries. That computer has three times more silver in it than a regular normal fuel combustion car. So you know, as, as we produce all these electric vehicles and then later fuel cell vehicles and all the robotics and all the flying cars and all the other exciting things that we're going to be adopting over the next several decades, you know, that's going to be very, very supportive for the price of silver. So I think we will. I mean, it sounds crazy when you're trading at sixteen fifty, you know, silver um, and barely can even get over $17 um, to you know, call for triple-digit silver, but you know that's where we're going, and I think it's going to be uh, based on pure supply demand fundamentals. Keith, this is Darren Long from the Real Money Show, and I'm curious if I could ask, what, in your opinion, is the percentage of silver coming out of the ground right now via primary silver mining operations around the world? Yeah, it's not much. You know, it's uh, the the it's about thirty percent from primary miners. So you know, you, you're talking about the. BHPs and you know the, the big big guys, you know the, the Phelps Dodges, you know the you know these guys, um, you know they produce some silver, you know because they you know they've got big big copper mines, they've got big zinc mines, so there is some silver coming out of those operations for sure, and it works out to about seventy percent of uh, silver comes from secondary production. And if you were to look upon the market as a whole. And having heard what you just said about the COMEX and bypassing the COMEX, I think one of the the great misunderstandings as far as it relates to pricing is that every day an individual comes home who may want to, let's say, for example, own physical silver, may want to speculate in physical service. Really, that's what they're doing. And they hear the price announced every day. And lo and behold, for years and years and years, despite this fantastic argument that's being built behind the scenes of everything you've discussed already, the price of silver stays stagnant and somewhat in, in, in the same kind of range without any major markup. Now, knowing that there is always events that drive the market, in your opinion, is it possible in the near future that we would be able to bypass the, the COMEX and, and, and thereby essentially get a different day-to-day price on silver? Well, we're a pretty small player, you know, in the whole scheme of things. You know, you know, at our, our level, you know, we're, we're you know, uh, you know post uh, acquisition that we're just doing right now, which will close 
at the end of uh, April, you know, we're about a thirty million silver equivalent you know, ounce, or, you know, it's thirty million ounce silver equivalent producer uh, in an eight hundred million ounce market. So you know, it's um, you know from a whole you know effect on the market. You know, from first to justice point of view, it's it's we're a pretty small player. So you need all the big guys to really want to go down that path. And it's not going to start in silver. You know, silver is a very small uh, market. You, know, you look at you know, 800 million ounces trading at, you know, let's say $72 an ounce, it's, you know, it's, a, it's less than a $16 billion market. So, you know, you're talking about a pretty tiny market. So, you know, it, it, these changes of, of pricing commodities in, in different ways than they're currently being done is going to be directed by the big conglomerates. And it's going to be done, you know, uh, outside of the exchanges, and, and uh, which I think will ultimately happen. But, um, you know, silver will be, in my view, one of the latter metals to, to actually go down that path. But, you know, it's still, you know, it, it is frustrating. Uh, I'm a big supply demand fundamental um, believer. You know, when, when I put first congested together, silver was five bucks an ounce, and I predicted it would hit 50. It, it did. Um, I didn't think over the next five years it was going to go all the way down from 50 to 13.30, which was its low in January 2016, which is pretty shocking for everyone. You know, it's now it's recovered. It's, it's struggling, you know, to get over 18 now. But um, I think it's just a matter of time. You know, everything that's sent into Durban, everyone's following, you know, zinc and, and, and nickel and cobalt. And, and uh, you know, as I said earlier, you know, once people actually figure out the fact that all these fancy electronics that that these these rare metals, they call them rare metals, you know, cobalt, for example, or others, you know, are, are going into these technologies. These technologies simply wouldn't work without silver. And that story will get out, and, and, and the market will be driven by by um, by you know headline uh, you know news that that's going to affect this market because it's surely not being priced uh, based on supply demand fundamentals. Yeah, it sounds like when you're when you put together the fundamental and the package and the idea that. Okay, we're mining it at nine to one. It's currently trading around eighty to one, give or take. You're saying that the supply in the ground is dropping. Is that is that an indication of, for example, like a peak silver idea? Well, I don't know about that. You know, because it all comes down to price. You know, right. it, it, you know current metal prices. Um, it, it, you know, there's not too many miners making a bunch of money. You know, like you know, we're we're kind of a it's a break even kind of business. You know, a little bit of profit here and there. Mm-hmm. You know, Still grinding down our costs, um, you know, and, and we're making it. We're making buy, but but we're you know we're not you know making the profits really required to to expand the operations, and, and that's why we see three consecutive years of, of reduced uh, silver production worldwide because of the price. And you know, all of a sudden, you know, hundred dollars silver happens uh, tomorrow. Of course, production is going to go up because that's going to make a lot of lower grade mines that are currently uneconomic all of a sudden economic. But, you know, my thesis is, is that's exactly what we need because we don't currently have enough mine supply to, to, to supply the demand that's, that's coming. And that's why we're, we've been in multiple deficits. We've been in, uh, you know, over the last 30 years, there's, most, there's only been a few years in the last 30 years that we've actually had a surplus supply. And uh, quite honestly, I don't even believe some of the numbers that some of these um, groups put out because, you know, I've, I've talked to refineries and I've talked to uh, the big electronics manufacturers and I've asked the refineries, you know, how much metal goes through your system and, you know, how much you, uh, you know, a cell phone manufacturer, how much, you know, silver do you consume a year uh, in your cell phones? And this is top secret information. They don't want anyone to know it. So, 
when when you know these analysts come up with some, their supply demand fundamentals and you know uh, uh, and, and they plug in all these numbers, you know they don't have a clue what's being reset, but they don't have a clue what Samsung is using or, or Tesla is using. They just plug in numbers as, as best guess scenarios, and that always matches at the bottom. You know, there's a, there's a magic balancing uh, on the bottom line, uh, and then that's what they call the surplus, or that's what they call the uh, deficit, obviously, which is your, your fixed number at the end. It's all nonsense, but you know, we know, I know from you know being in this uh, industry for 15 years that uh, we've never had problems selling silver. Um, the demand you know, is increasing quite rapidly, and that's what excites me in this marketplace. And unfortunately, it's not showing up in price yet. At the same time, um, and what's great for, for First Majestic is I know you're working on ways to make it cheaper to mine so that you're you're prepared for when the market does rise and you can rev up much quicker than, let's say, starting up one of those older mines, as you were just saying. So um, can you let our listeners know a little bit more about First Majestic and First Mining Gold and how they can get some more information uh, about those things? Yeah, you know, you're right regarding, you know, we, we continue to try to improve our business. I think the, the, the mining sector as a whole is changing. Um, you know, the, you know, it's really, you know, whether we're forced into it or not, I guess there's a debate there to be had. But, um, uh, you know, obviously we're, we are a large company. We're publicly traded. We, you know, we've got uh, 4,100 employees. We've got, you know, we've got, you know over 50,000 shareholders. So we've got a lot of responsibility to make sure that, you know, we, we do our best to, to turn a profit, um, and, and we do that by you know automation and, 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 and you know reducing input costs by a variety of different uh, means, and, and uh, you know the mining sector, in my view, is going through quite a change right now because it's been very very slow in, in reacting to new technology, and we've seen you know today the United States produces more oil today than I think they ever have for at least for several decades, anyways, and then. Uh, that's got a lot to do with what's got solely to do with, with new technology. And, and the mining sector is just now starting to adopt some, some technology. First Majestic is actually one of the leaders in this area. We're small. You know, we're not a huge company, but you know, we do what we can to, to um, uh, invest, reinvest capital into uh, quite exciting technologies, which we think are going to improve our operations quite dramatically over the next couple of years. And if you look at our our presentation on our website, you know, people want to go to our website at you know, firstmajestic.com. They could pull up the PowerPoint or, uh, and, and go into there and look at some of the interesting technologies that we've adopted over the last five years and some of the technologies that we're adopting over the next two or three years. And we spend a lot of time telling investors about that because we think it's important. You know, if if, if uh, silver prices don't want to go higher and then they, they're going to stay in the $17 range, but in the foreseeable future, you know, we've got to continually look for ways of grinding down our costs. I think it's critical that we do that. And uh, it, it, it excites me because I see the efficiencies that it's creating. So, you know, um, again, you know, the, the website's there for people to look at. Uh, First Mining Gold, you did mention, it's uh, the chairman of that company. And I, I founded that company back in, uh, in 2015, uh, April 2015, went public. They're both quite different animals. Uh, you know, first, Majestic Silver is the second largest silver producer in Mexico. It's got six producing mines with, with their seventh mine just uh, in, the, in the process of being purchased. Uh, so by the end of April, early May, we'll, we'll have our seventh mine portfolio and then on an annualized basis for about a 30 million ounce silver producer, which makes us number two in Mexico, makes us one of the purest um, uh, silver companies in the world. And, Obviously, one of the most leveraged to, to the price of silver. And once silver prices move, our stock tends to 
do very well. Um, you know, first mine of gold is, is, is gold, obviously. Um, most of the assets are in eastern Canada. They've got 25 different projects, some spread around northern Mexico, but the core assets are really in, in Ontario, um, um, where we've got you know three of, I think, one of the uh, um, probably the best gold portfolios in, in the least junior mining sector. And these three projects in, in Ontario, we believe, will all be producing mines over the next five some odd years, and then uh, you know that's a pretty exciting place to be at. And the stock is trading at 52 week lows, which is unfortunate. Um, there's been a new CEO that I just appointed um, just about a month ago, and uh, you know, he's getting his feet wet. And, and uh, um, we're just you know working to build those assets and develop them and grow them and just keep advancing them and de-risking them and getting them into production over the next several years. Well, we will put links to uh, both of those sites on our on our website at guildhallwealth.com through The Real Money Show. So anyone who wants to listen to the podcast, they can find that information. And, and if you don't mind, we'll put up your Twitter address as well. How's that sound? Yeah, the Twitter account would be good. I don't do a lot of tweeting, but you know, like news releases or interesting information that I find uh, out there, I, I do tweet out every once in a while. So. Excellent. Well, Keith Newmeyer, yeah, it's... Happy to have more followers. <laughs> exactly. Keith, it's been a pleasure to have you on the, the show today, and we look forward to hearing back from you soon. It's a pleasure chatting with both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was an amazing interview, Jeremy. I'd like to say that Keith Newmeyer is probably one of the most knowledgeable people I've had the opportunity to speak with in the marketplace as an analyst, as a CEO, as somebody who has been in this silver and gold and mining world for so long, since the 80s, and certainly very knowledgeable when it comes to talking about what's happening. I think that in the third segment, we're going to spend some time also talking about Colored Diamonds and an article from Paul Craig Roberts, our friend to the show. But it is interesting that he pointed out a couple of very distinct things that are happening right now. One, he said, silver is coming out of the ground only at nine ounces to every one ounce of gold. So in and of itself, that's amazing. Secondly, how can you not pick up on the idea that silver is everywhere in our lives? Now, we've talked about usages till we're blue in the face over the years, many, many shows on usages only, but it never does it quite enough justice because this is a time and space in which he's saying, look around you, everything you use and touch and everything we're going to use and touch technology-wise going ahead into the future is going to be impacted by that price of silver. It may only be a small impact, but it's still going to happen. And in essence, there's nothing that can change that because there's nothing that can replace silver and what it does. And and I think with that, there was this hinting in some ways of if this story of silver really gets out and it's things really start to move in that market and those mi- those mining companies can't ramp up the production of silver fast enough that you could potentially be in a position where silver does go no bid, where people are not willing to sell it at $50, 60 $80, um, and these companies are working as fast as they can, but not fast enough to actually start getting more silver that's needed out of the ground to satisfy the demand that's coming. And I think the other thing that he was also starting to, to discuss and, and hint at is that when you look at the stock market and where people are putting their money, he said he was suggesting that they're putting their money into things that are already high because it's um, the fashion of the day. But eventually, 
trillions of dollars is going to be sitting there going, well, where do we put our money next? And that's where the mining sector and the physical gold and silver market that are undervalued right now start to look pretty, pretty good. We're going to post that interview, folks, on the podcast. You'll be able to access it in addition to today's show and tomorrow's show. And if you're listening on Sunday, it will be yesterday's show. But again, we'll post that up on the podcast and put it onto our website. Certainly, we will make certain that you have great access to that interview as a standalone. It will be downloadable, and you can put that anywhere you like into any unit and listen to it at your convenience. What a great great interview that was, Jeremy. I'm happy that we had him on there. Now, folks, when it comes to silver and gold, understand nothing is more important than taking action once you have the knowledge. If you understand that silver right now is sitting at 80 to 1 against the price of gold, it means it takes 80 ounces in order to equate to one ounce of gold in value. It is very undervalued against historical norms. Looking back at this bull market we've been in since 2002, the average is in the 50s. It's 55 to 1. So even if we went back to 55 to 1, that's driving the price of silver towards the $24 range. What a bargain to be able to own and stack some silver. Get into an allocated financing account here, folks. This is an opportunity to use other people's money. You can put down as little as 45% of the total metal value you want to invest and own. We can get that set up for you very quickly. It can be done online. You can submit by wire transfer and have that account up and operating and visit your allocated, segregated, serialized bars. We can do 100-ounce bars there in that account. We can also open up a gold account and do the same thing. One ounce, all Royal Canadian Mint product, and it is tangible, folks, because that's the best way you can own and hold silver and gold. Jeremy, when we come back in the third segment, let's talk a little bit about some diamonds. Let's talk a little bit about putting it all together. I want to dwell a little further on that idea of a strategic metal and what that might mean going forward and certainly spend some time helping people to open up accounts. What do you say? That sounds great. And I think along the lines of of the strategic metal, I think we should look at that article we were going to discuss about why central banks view gold as a strategic metal I brought as it well. with me. Brought it with me. We'll do that as well. All here on The Real Money Show, folks. Get into the market now. Remember, March Madness means we are doing away with HST or the tax from your province on all of our colored diamonds right now. We'll cover that for you. Take a look at those online through guildhallwealth.com. We'll talk a little more about that. We have more updates on the Argyle mines coming in the next segment. We're almost finished a new article on the Argyle uh, situation, and the closing date might shock you and might help you to make that decision to get this into your portfolio. Gold, silver at guildhallwealth.com. The newsletter, all on the website. The number to call, one 877 78 silver. I'll say again, one eight seven seven eight silver. You are listening to the Real Money Show with Guildhall Wealth Management on Global News Radio, six forty Toronto.